0: Good morning, church. Do you know how blessed you are? Do you know how blessed you are to have young people leading you in worship this morning? What a blessing. What a blessing. Thank you so much. And you know, the thing is, it's not just that obviously we have very talented young people, but did you feel their hearts of worship this morning? Did you feel their love for Jesus sincerely worshiping? And inviting you to worship with them. Did you feel that this morning? I did. Thank you. Thank you so much. I have something I want to bring out here. Um, Just give me a second, if you would. Um, Apparently, it's not there, so I'll look over here and see. Don't mind me while I'm just going back here for a second. This will come out a little later. Keep you on the edge of your seat a little bit. Wondering what's in the box. Some of you may know. But God is good all the time. <laughs> Confused you, didn't I? God is good. And all the time? Even early on Sabbath morning. Right? Uh, just a show of hands. We're going to get real honest and real comfortable with each other. How many of you have failed in your life? You failed? You failed? Okay, if you're not raising your hand, then you have denial issues, and that's okay. (laughs) We'll work on that as we journey together. But we've all failed, haven't we? Some of us, maybe a little bit, some of us, in huge ways, some of us, privately, and some of us, publicly. Uh, Being a sports fan, um, especially growing up as a Dodger fan in Los Angeles County, there was a guy we used to call Billy Buckner. Do you remember a guy named Bill Buckner? those of you who are sports fans. But you don't remember him as much as a Dodger, maybe as much as you remember him as what? Red Sox. Now those of you who aren't sports fans, you'll know that one of the greatest, quote unquote, failures in baseball was an error made when a ball was hit down the first baseline in what I believe was the 1986 World Series against the Mets. You remember that? Any of you Red Sox fans? Oh. I'm sorry to bring this up again. This is a painful moment for you, I know. (laughs) And there it was. The ball was hit to Bill Buckner, and as he went to do just a routine, pick up a routine ground ball and make that out at first base, it did what every infielder prays never happens to him, and the ball went right between his legs, and they lost the game. That was a sad moment, and poor Bill Buckner has lived with that for decades. Now, before you feel too bad for him, he's also made lots of money on that error, signing lots of pictures of the ball going between his legs. So you don't have to feel too bad, even though it's, it's rough. But failure doesn't feel good, and especially in our society, in America, we are success-driven. If it isn't a success, then it's a failure. And everything in advertising, everything that's put before our kids' eyes and our eyes on the TV screen, on the internet, on the highways, on the radio, whatever it is, is about success and the image of success. And it's not really a real world because most of us have to deal with more failures than successes, it seems. And then again, we have to ask ourselves the question, what is success? You see, success only matters depends on who eyes you hope are seeing your success. kingdom of God or the empire of the world. In fact, I want to suggest to you this morning that there are many things we might call a failure that God calls a success. In fact, I would even think that part of God's plan in our life is that he hopes to put us in situations where we might even fail because it will lead us to a successful relationship with him. Just a thought. What I want to suggest to you this morning is that Jesus is not concerned so much with our failure as he is with our faith. And I'm going to unpack that this morning. Jesus is more concerned with our faith than our failures. Now, there's a a person in Scripture that sometimes you might associate with failures. He was a disciple. Any guesses? Peter, right? When you think of disciples who maybe failed more than the other ones, at least that we know in in the Bible, Peter kind of ranks pretty high up there, doesn't he? He seems to be the guy that, that kind of, you know, makes more mistakes, he jumps into situations without thinking, he opens his mouth too soon, Peter. But why do a lot of people say, you know, one of my favorite characters in the Bible is Peter? Probably because most of us can relate to Peter somewhat. Yeah, I've been there, done that. I've made mistakes. I've done that. I want to look at a scripture this morning that is a little bit disturbing at times when you look at it. But we're going to look at it together this morning. It's in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 32. And Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room. And uh, he's having that moment with them before he goes to the cross. And he says these words to Peter. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you. As wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Can you imagine just being there? Imagine that you're Simon Peter. And Jesus turns to you and he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. I think I would be uh, feeling all the anxiety that I could feel in my body and the fear and the trembling, breaking out in a sweat. But then Jesus says, but I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Jesus tells Simon that Satan is asked to sift him like wheat. Well, when we sift something, what do we do? If we're sifting wheat, we're trying to separate the chaff from the wheat, right? The, the not-so-good stuff from the good stuff. And so there's going to be the sifting process going on in Peter's life. And in fact... Just to understand the text a little bit more, this word you, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as we, it's really you in the plural. Satan has asked to sift all of the disciples. Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you. But I've prayed for you. Do you remember the story of Job? I know sometimes we go through our life and and we might feel, oh, I'm a modern day Job. I'm going through it. Everything seems to be happening to me. Do you remember the beginning of the story of Job? It says in the first chapter that, that the angels came to appear before God and Satan came to appear before him as well. He said he'd been roaming the earth. And God says, have you noticed my, my servant Job? That he's, that he's great, he's a good guy, and he has a heart for me. And Satan says to him, ah, the only reason why he worships you, the only reason why he's committed to you is because you treat him so good. Take away all of his things and he won't, he won't like you anymore. And God says, No, no. His heart is with me. You know, it's pretty interesting sometimes if we can get past loving God for the things he blesses us with and just loving him for who he is. I want to take a second for us in Scripture to remind ourselves about what is really going on because God, the Bible says, is more concerned with the things that are unseen than the things that are seen. And we live in a very visual world, everything is visual, how we communicate. We don't even talk anymore. What do we do? We text. It's all about talking through our eyes than through our mouths. We chat. We don't talk. We chat. Everything is visual, even our communication. But Jesus, who walked the face of this earth, had a sense of what was really going on was behind everything that you see. Let's look at a few passages here to remind us of what's going on around us. Revelation 12.10 Says, then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. First Peter five eight says, Be self controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. In Ephesians, the Apostle Paul writes, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Are you being reminded of the big picture? Listen to how the message translation reads Ephesians 6, 12. This is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps. A life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. This is the context of the spiritual battle that Jesus prayed for Peter. Jesus knew and saw what was going on behind the life as we see it. And so Jesus said, but I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brother's. The word Jesus uses here for fail is the word that we get our word eclipse for. You ever see an eclipse? It just covers, you can't see it, right? It just covers it up completely. A total eclipse, it's gone. And so Jesus says, I'm praying that your faith will not eclipse. That it won't blow out completely, that it won't fail completely. It's easy to get down on Peter, though, sometimes but we tend to empathize and relate to Peter. He seems to fail more than others, as I mentioned before. One of the most famous stories of Peter is what? When he walks on the water. There he is in the boat. Jesus is there. He says, Master, can I come out to you? Sure, come on out. And Peter goes out, and he, he walks on the water. Does he make it to Jesus? No, he doesn't make it to Jesus. And so we often say, oh, poor Peter. He failed miserably. You know, and the story goes... If he'd only kept his eyes on Jesus. Anybody here keep their eyes on Jesus perfectly? No, me neither. Me neither. If he'd only kept his eyes on Jesus. But can we give Peter credit for getting out of the boat? You see, one person that I like uh, who's no longer alive, unfortunately, wonderful author, great speaker, Mike Iaconelli, worked a lot with youth ministers. And he says, you know, we get down on Peter a lot, but who else got out of the boat? Nobody else got out of the boat. He says, if I were Peter, if I were Peter, and I got back into the boat, what do you think I'd be saying? Three steps, man. Three steps. How many of you all have? None of you got out of the boat. I got three. He got out into the water. Peter's heart was all about being close to his master. He wanted to be where Jesus was, when Jesus was there, doing whatever Jesus was doing. He wanted to be close course, following this, we know that Jesus was talking specifically about when Peter was going to deny that he knew Jesus. It wasn't too much later that evening when Peter was trying to follow closely to the high priest's house where Jesus was being taken, and there he was in the courtyard, and three times he said, I don't know the man. I don't know the man. But Jesus was praying for Peter. I've always loved the words of Theodore Roosevelt about the man in the arena. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbled or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly who errs and comes short again and again, who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, and spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. Peter was a man in the arena. Peter was a man who wanted to be where Jesus was and as he got closer to Jesus and went into the tougher places with Jesus, there might be some failures. But I think, and I think you might agree with me, that I'd rather go into the deep places of Jesus that are tough and hard that grow me closer to Jesus even if I fail once in a while rather than stay in the safe zone and try never to fail for the kingdom of God. Peter Yes, he failed. But Jesus was praying that his faith would not fail. So, did Jesus' prayer fail? Because when we look at it, it appears that Peter failed. Three times that night, he denied Jesus. I know sometimes we feel like our prayers aren't answered. Did the Father not answer Jesus' prayer? For Peter? Was Jesus praying that Peter would not fail? No. He prayed that his faith would not fail. And what is faith? Faith is believing in the goodness of God no matter what. Faith is trusting that God is who He said He is, that He's loving all the time, that He's forgiving all the time, that He's faithful all the time, that He's compassionate all the time, that He's long-suffering all the time, that no matter what happens in my life, no matter what choices I make, no matter what miserable failures I make in my life, God is good all the time. You see, Peter, Jesus was praying that Peter, though he would fail, would not lose his trust in the goodness of God. That even though, Peter, when you fail, that you will return and that your trust in my goodness and my forgiveness and my love won't fail. As you go about in my name, and you try to do the things that I've asked you to do, and you go out, and if you fail, and when you fail, don't lose your faith in me. Don't lose your trust that I will always be there no matter what. See, sometimes, and it's hard not to do because of the society we live in, we get focused on our failures and we kind of take our eyes off God and, and it becomes about us. And Jesus was also trying to say to Peter, Peter, remember it's not about you, it's all about me. It's not so much about all your failures, it's all about my goodness. Isn't that why Jesus came? Jesus came to show us the goodness and the love of the Father in spite of ourselves, in spite of us. He came to show the kingdom of God and say, it's all about him. Because the world tends to say, it's all about me. Right? One of the greatest things in marketing, and I'm not not saying it's a bad thing because I own some of it, but some of the most popular products start with the letter what? I. The iPod, the iPhone, the I, you can go on a list. It's all about what's, what's perfect for your world? What's perfect for I? And Jesus says, it's all about him. It's all about me, Jesus. Now, I like to do spiritual exercises. Now, whether you realize it or not, you are doing a spiritual exercise this morning. You came to be with the body of Christ. You're worshiping. That's a spiritual exercise. We're going to do a spiritual exercise here just because it's good to do this. And, you know, um, repetition is a powerful thing in God shaping our hearts. And we live in a society where we think just because we've read it or we have the information, we now know it. Is that true? No. You don't know it till you really know it. You don't know it until you've studied it. You don't know. And that's why the Psalms, there's this meditation is about repetition and repetition and repetition. So I want us to just do something here this morning. I want us to say this, word, this phrase, it's not about me. Can you just say that? It's not about me. Okay? Now, I want you to do what my wife tells me often is, Say it from your heart, all right? So mean it from your heart. Let's try it again. It's not about me. Now let's say, it's all about him. Let's say that. It's all about him. And one more time. It's all about him. Just let that sink in for a minute. It's not about me. It's all about him. It's all about his love. His grace, His compassion, His mercy. One of my favorite songs is called If Not for Your Grace. It says, Where would I be if not for your grace? Carrying me in every season, you came to my rescue, and I want to thank you for your grace. Grace that restores, grace that redeems, grace that releases me to worship. Grace that repairs vision and dreams. Grace that releases miracles. His grace. His grace. Hebrews 11 verses 1 and 2 talks about this faith. It says, The fundamental fact of his existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. The act of faith is what distinguished our ancestors and set them above the crowd. Did you catch that? The fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. You see, when you're going about your your life, and and maybe you're you're stepping out in areas where you sense God is leading, you're doing something for the kingdom of God, or or even not, you're going out and, and you fail Don't focus on your failure. Focus on the goodness of God. And know that in spite of your failures, God is good, and God is faithful, and God loves you. The Bible says that not even death can separate us from the love of God. Can you believe that? Not even death. So your failures can't separate you from the love of God. In talking with Brian, our worship leader today, we were talking last week about the service today, and he was asking me what the theme was and kind of where I was going with it, and, and he, he did something he doesn't know that he did. He's going to find out what he did, and you're going to find out too. And he, he misunderstood what I said. I said, the, the title of my sermon is Faith Beyond Failure. And so when he sent the, the flow, we have a tool that we use for the worship leaders and, and what the flow of the service is going to be and how the songs are going to come in and so forth. And he put there the theme, not faith beyond failure, but he put safe beyond failure. He missed the title, but he got the point, didn't he? And we're safe beyond failure. And that's what our faith is in. Our faith is that we are safe beyond failure. It's not about getting it right. It's not about being perfect. None of us will be perfect. If you if you think you're going to be perfect soon, just... Well, I'll be letting you know when you're not perfect fairly soon. There was someone once, I remember a college and professor, uh, a professor in college, let me get that right, who was telling us about someone who was talking to him saying they had reached perfection. And he said, oh, really? He says, yes, I have reached the state of perfection. And he said, wow, you must be a little proud. And he goes, yes, I am. <laughs> and he didn't even catch what He said, None of us will be perfect until Jesus comes and transforms us. But until then, God is calling us into the greatness of his kingdom and to be like Peter, to be in the arena and not be afraid of failure. Because with God, who is always faithful and safe, what is failure? Except that we will learn a lot from our failures. As I was out early one morning, as you've heard already, I like to do and get out and run or walk or do some form of exercise, there's a lot of new homes where I'm at, and as I'm walking down this one street, I notice this one builder doing something pretty special for their new homeowners. I look over and on the garage door is this huge banner that says, Welcome Home. And then when you look at the front door, there's this long red carpet. Now how would you like to be the owner of that new home? Feel a little special? pull up, you know, with your moving van, welcome home. You go around, look at the front door, and there's this red carpet rolled rolled out for you as you walk into your home for the first time. Wow. When you and I fail, no matter how many times, the kingdom of God says, welcome home. Welcome home. We don't have to wander from home because we feel bad about our failures. We get to stay home and fail. Welcome home. It's a great picture of the kingdom of God and, a sermon for another time, a great picture of the church here on earth. Hebrews four fourteen through 16 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Listen to this. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The throne of God is full of grace, full of mercy, always present for us. You see, the great news about Peter was that even though he failed miserably, some would say, and I would like to suggest to you, and again, a sermon for another time, that Peter's failures were some of the greatest successes in his life, for his life and ministry in the kingdom of God. The great news about Peter is that he did return to his brothers, and he did encourage his brothers. In fact, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, the great news is that it says in Acts 2.14, then Peter stood up and proclaimed the goodness, and the gospel of God. And thousands were welcomed home that day. Jesus prayed, not that Peter would not fail, but that his faith in God would not fail. You think Jesus' prayer was answered? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I think for all of us, our failures are some of the best things we have going for us. The things in our life that we feel that we've failed at, if we really process those failures at the feet of Jesus, in my life anyways, I'll just speak for myself, those are the times in which I've become probably the most honest with God. Those are the times when I was real with God because I was broken enough to speak from my heart and not just just randomly just talk out of my head instead of my heart. If we're honest with God in our failures, it's not like he's surprised. Do you ever think God is surprised when you fail? Oh no, Frank, he failed. No. He knows. But he wants us when we fail to be at his feet, not far away. He wants us to trust no matter how Badly or how much we fail, that he is good all the time. And Jesus prays for us, not that we won't fail, but that our faith in him and his goodness won't fail. I want to end with a story this morning. And uh, some of you may know or anticipate what's in this box. This is a gift that I received when I was at the age of 10. It was Christmas morning. And it was one of those Christmas Eves where you don't sleep because you're so excited, you know. Do you still do that? Mostly, as parents, we don't go to sleep Christmas Eve, do we? (laughs) Preparing things for our children. But I had a sense that this was finally going to be coming under the tree. I'd talked to the man in the red suit. I'd talked to my parents. And there it was, with a red bow, my first trumpet. I wanted to play the trumpet because I saw a picture of a man with big cheeks. You know who I'm talking about? Louis Armstrong. Never heard him play a note, but I thought it was cool how his cheeks did that. I kept trying to emulate that, but I just didn't have the gift. And so I began playing trumpet and Um, played it through most of junior high, maybe some into high school, and then went on to other things. But I kept the trumpet, saying, maybe someday, maybe someday. But there's a a trumpeter who was a legend in his own time named Wynton Marcellus. He is phenomenal in the classical music uh, genre, and he's phenomenal in the jazz genre. And there's a story of Wynton, a true story, that was written up a few years ago, of one night in New York City, he showed up in this little place, little uh, dinner house, and there was a, a group playing, and he just kind of walked in, and he sat in with the group. There was a, a writer who happened to be there that evening who didn't quite recognize him, and he said, I think that's Winton Marcellus. What's he doing in a place like this? And, and why doesn't anybody else know that he's here? And, and there he was, and he played, but then the the evening came to a point where the rest of the group went off the stage, and Winton was up there by himself. And he began playing this piece, this uh, completely by himself, without any other instruments. It was a slow, kind of melancholy ballad, a love song. And he played the melody, and there were deep pauses in between some of the notes. And then there became a place in the, in the song where someone's cell phone went off. And it wasn't just a nice soft ring, it was one of those, you know, you know, one of those melodies that stress you out when you hear it. In this quiet moment where you could have heard a pin drop. The person's wrestling for their cell phone, they couldn't find it, they rush out of the room outside. And the story goes on that Winton paused for a second. And the author, the writer for this journal, this magazine, wrote down magic ruined and then he couldn't believe what his ears were hearing winton marcellus began playing back note for note the ring of the cell phone started playing it back note for note and then he modulated keys and then he weaved around it other embellishing notes And he went on for a couple of minutes and then brought it back down to the original key and ended with the melody of the original song. And the place erupted a thunderous applause in amazement of the mastery of Wynton Marcellus and what he did with the song and the mistake, the accident that happened in the middle of the song and what he did with that. The writer said that he was sitting at a table where somebody had stepped out before Wynton Marcellus had stood up. And she came back in and said, what did I miss? He says, I can't even tell you right now. The kingdom of God is playing a song on planet Earth. And the Spirit is wanting to play it in our hearts. And every once in a while we play a song that doesn't seem to fit in and we might even call it a failure but grace has a way of taking those mistakes those scars and weaving them into the song and bringing it all whole again and saying it's not about you it's all about me it's all about my love for you Jesus is praying for us that in spite of our failures our faith in him won't fail Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you that it's not about our failures, but your faithfulness. And I pray, Lord, that even this morning, we will allow you to forgive us for maybe some of the failures we haven't allowed you to forgive us for. And that we would even receive from you the grace to forgive ourselves. Thank you, Lord, that your grace is always sufficient. And that no matter what happens, you are good all the time. Take a moment this morning, just a few seconds, to talk silently to the Father, Son, and Spirit this morning. Because it's all about Him and not about me, go in the faithfulness of God. Go in your faith knowing that he is faithful to you always and that you are safe no matter the failures. God be with you all.